Hi. How are you? Can we have uh, two tickets to uh, <clears throat> Fifty Shades of Grey, please? Yes, thank you. Yes. Thank you. I'll get this sales in. Oh, good. Okay, so it'll be on your credit card. <laughs> There's no evidence that Plain I've... brown wrapper, I believe. <laughs> exactly. Can we get uh, those in a brown paper on. bag, please? I don't know how to insert this thing. Wild crab... Uh, the line from the movie. Wild <laughs> crab pays for her tickets for us. I add her tickets to Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, hello. Welcome back to Chat 10 Looks 3 with Annabelle Crab and Lee Sales. And we are... Um, having our inaugural podcast of the year at Fifty Shades of Grey. Now, why are we doing this? Hey, um, do you want anything? Popcorn, full facial mask, <laughs> paper bag to cover my head, large hat and sunglasses, warm towel. <laughs> oh, you're disgusting. Um, let's pause while we ponder that. <laughs> okay, we're back again. We after that angst didn't get anything. No, that just felt like the experience would be enough, really. Now, why are we doing this again? Well, because I think we got in a rut, didn't we? You know, just going to see things that we liked and uh, reading things that we thought would be interesting. So, I mean, have you read the book? Um, I downloaded the book last week just because I knew that we were coming to the film and, you know, so I wanted to do the research and, and make sure I was on Whoa. top of things. <laughs> wow, hardcore. No, I haven't ever read the book. But, you know, I think it's perfectly permissible these days to see a film when you haven't read the book, right? Well, yes, I think so. Um, and, in fact, the reviews I've read of this film say that the film is actually better than the book, which isn't saying much. Right, OK. We see I. I have gone in bareback. I haven't read any of the reviews uh, because I like to do these things in an immersion kind of technique. See, everything that you're saying now, I'm viewing through some Fifty Shades prism, like when you said, you know, we're in a bit of a rut, um, <laughs> that you were going in bareback. <laughs> this is going to be the first R Plus <laughs> edition of Chat Tin Looks 3. I'm just scrolling back through my vocabulary and really realising how little of it is actually useful. <laughs> Um, oh, this is the film hasn't even bloody started. We're already giggling like fools. I know. I completely pity anyone that's coming to this, actually hoping to be titillated, because we're just going to spend our entire time laughing and cracking ridiculous one-liners. I think you're on. Um, okay, so we've decided that the theme for this week we'll give you a review of the film when we come out, of course. But it's also going to be about watching, reading, or doing things that you wouldn't normally do. So that's that's the theme for this week. Bondage and discipline, for instance. <laughs> Lots of you on that, I imagine. <laughs> All right, so we'll be back with you after we see the film. Stay tuned. <laughs> right, so here we are, post Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> Quick rub down in the, uh, in the cinema foyer. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. We're sitting in the uh, foyer of the Dendi Cinema, so that's why it's a little bit noisy. But uh, I digress. So what did you make of the film? Oh, I just don't think, I think if I'm not cut out for that sort of thing, I just couldn't stop tittering. I think it was very difficult to maintain a straight <laughs> And I kept thinking about, like, there was, we had this kind of, there was a young couple right in the back row, and then there was a man with suspiciously roomy trousers. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You couldn't help look about at the demographic. I just, I just, I would be bad, I think, at B&D of any kind, role play, submissive, dominant, because I just, like, the sniggering factor would just be too much. I just, oh, I don't know. Like, Yeah, that would be bad. I mean, look, we're probably, to be fair, I suspect we're not the right demographic for the film, because, I mean, <laughs> my... the target audience, though? Well, like, I, I just think my, you know, erotic <laughs> fantasy is to be in a hotel room alone, and that's it. <laughs> Like, we've got five children under eight between us. Like, that, the idea that, you know, you'd waste a hotel room on anything but sleep. I'm like, 
it had like what what was that 140 minute film like I would accept just like watching Ryan Gosling do the dishes real slow well there was a there was a moment where we were laughing in the film where he had some I don't know what it was device that the duster of, the duster we called it and um, I said to you it looks like he's doing the mopping to which I think you said something like now there's an erotic thought <laughs> having someone do your mopping just half an hour of mopping things well I mean See, here's the difficulty when you're making a kind of, you know, a bondage movie that you also want to be a million, you know, a bajillion dollar hit or whatever. Because you've got to have aspects of bondage, Mm. if I may borrow a concept from Andrew Lloyd Webber, without (laughs) actually, like... Like a like a full brutality. So a lot of the time, there would seem to be a lot of dusting going on, yeah. and then a lot of like seriously, when they cast that film as well. And I'm I'm skipping all over the place here. I I hope you will uh, tie each other down at some point. <laughs> Sorry, um, uh, but like the the amount of lip biting that went on um, in that film, and I assume that when they were casting it, they did it entirely on the basis of. How good are her lips, and yeah. can she? How well does she bite? That was good biting. Like, it you was. Can't argue with lip biting of that quality. Um, I thought you were going to say, um, "How many inanimate objects can we work into any one scene for a bit of fondling?" <laughs> Look, during a particularly childish uh, interval during the film, I was just every time there was a new shot, just identifying the phallic object in the shot. It was sort of like when you see a Wes Anderson movie, and you're kind of like. Oh, oh, that's symmetrical. <laughs> like, oh, that looks like an art postcard I once wanted. You know, in this one it's like, oh, a bottle of wine. Oh, elevator shaft. Lamp. <laughs> Tap. Oh, yeah. I think there was, for me, there was like two genuinely erotic moments in the film. The first was the uh, opening which reveals his immaculate walk-in wardrobe. Right, okay. That was really titillating. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll have one of those, thank you. And the other one was uh, they had that pavilion owned by his parents with the indoor pool and the greenhouse yeah, sort of sure, thing. Yeah, that definite those. turn on for Very me. Very <laughs> Exactly. The other thing I think that's my problem with these sorts of films, and I mean, I know you meant to suspend disbelief and whatnot, but is the idea that, say for example, he has this red room, which is his playroom, yes. um, I can't help but think, well, who cleans it? Right, I see. So you you're... Know, uh, um, who cleans the red room? Well, I assume that that would be something that the submissive would get around to at some point. I mean, like, point, actually, I mean yeah. they didn't dwell on those aspects of the contractual agreement, but mm. I assume that if anyone's going to be slopping out that red room, <laughs> it ain't going to be him, <laughs> is it, right? Good point. The other thing that added enormously to the uh, appeal of the film, I'm sure for everyone else there, is the fact that I've got this extraordinarily hacking cough. Yeah, that was, that was nice, i got to say. That was a real turn on. Like, any threat of becoming... Aroused in any way at any point during the film was, I have to say, because <laughs> nothing said says sexy like phlegm, right? Am I right? I mean, my panic word is actually mucus at this point, which you've <laughs> got a most disgusting cold. I'm sure that the other furtive patrons of the cinema enjoyed that as well. I know. I think they're over there asking for their money back right now. This was seriously oh. such a ridiculous idea, oh, though, no. wasn't it? Seriously. <laughs> Honestly. It's, it's a cartoon, you know. And I just... Suspension of disbelief is something on which we rely heavily on film as well, right? But, I right. mean, like, this... Oh, my God. I don't know. I think it was... 
there were a couple of moments. It, it was full of these sort of vertiginous plot moments where something happens and then in your brain you form this kind of dreadful premonition about what's going to happen next and then it happens. Like, you know, you think, oh, surely not going to... Oh, Jesus. Like, when he's trying to talk her into, you know... The mopping. The mo- <laughs> Code name, the mopping. And he says, well, you know, what do you... What do you like to do? What do you not like to do, you know, when you're having sex? And she says, I don't know. And you think, oh, God, please don't be a virgin. Please don't be the only hot 22-year-old virgin who's at, you know, college in Seattle or whatever. Oh, yeah, she's a virgin. And and that he's just happened to, you know, Seattle's most experienced sexual predator has happened to. Just, you know, she's fallen into his lap. Look, it was your classic, um, you know, you say it was like a cartoon. It was your classic... um, you know, young innocent girl with a beast story, basically. And yes. I can't show you my true self because yeah. I'm a beast. So it, it was yeah. Christine and the Phantom, and it was Beauty and the Beast. And you yeah, know, yeah. But I that. mean, I don't know. Whose fantasy is that? I don't know. It, it yeah. sort of feels like a guy fantasy, obviously, because there's this sort of dewy eyed, lip munching hot pot who yeah. just happens never to have had a knickers off before, but has just, you know, <laughs> oh, oh, my clothes just fell off. <laughs> I would really like you to hurt me badly. That would be great. The other then thing, we could go in your plane. The other thing that, um, you know, and again, I know you're meant to suspend disbelief when you come to the films, but so, for example, that moment where she reveals that she's a virgin, and I think he's already shown her through his little torture dungeon by then, hasn't he? I think, I think so. so, yeah. So what, not for a moment does she go, oh, hang on, I'm just, you know, I better check with my girlfriend. I like, might phone a friend. Yeah, I might phone a friend. Like, I, often in these sorts of films where women are the main protagonists, one of the things that strikes me, you know, because I think, frankly, I know a bit about women and about friendship between women, I think that you run a lot of stuff by your friends, particularly major decisions. And the fact that she didn't go home to her flatmate and say, um wow, like, I'm really into this guy, but I've got to tell you, just between us, because he swore me to secrecy, he's got, like, a dungeon full of mops and dusters. (laughs) So let me get this straight, Sales. Your problem with this film is a plausibility issue. (laughs) I just could not see that coming. (laughs) Well, it was the same. I read Twilight a few years ago because everyone was, you know, it was the teenage girl book du jour, and I thought, oh, I just want to read it and see what the the youngsters are reading these days. And it was the same issue for me that, so she's got a crush on this guy. Um, At a certain point, she discovered is that he's a vampire and she just goes and that he wants to suck her blood and kill her and turn her into a vampire as well and she just goes oh well but he's still really hot and not for a moment there's not even a chapter of her angsting over the fact that he's a vampire she just jumps in with both feet yeah but I guess there's a kind of oh I don't know what was that film that had Nicole Kidman in it Eyes Wide Shut oh yeah that was the sort of much awaited Kubrick Mm. film that god Mm. I mean I just I just pissed myself all the way through that too, like the masks and the flogging and the, I don't know, it's just the lip biting, I just think, come off it, go have a cup of tea, read a book, do something useful. The other thing that I found a little off-putting, because I was waiting the whole time for something to happen, and I realised at a certain point that what I was waiting to happen was for him to be revealed that he was Batman. Okay, we're all very confused about this film, aren't we? It's because he was like this rich dude and he had a lot of boy toys and he had a secret. He had a like manservant like Alfred um, Taylor, this one's name was. Um, and he lived in something that looked a little bit like a lair. And right. I just it was like my filmic expectations were being violated because I've seen that film and it's Batman. Batman had a heart though, didn't he? Or didn't he? No, maybe he didn't. Well, the Batman's been dark in the yeah. later incarnations of Batman, yes, the Christian true. Bale Batman and whatnot. That's so, true. Um, all right, you're on 
something. Yeah. Here's my question, though. Because, I mean, like, that book, right, has been read by, you know, oh, bajillions... Of I wish you'd written it. I know. I'm sure I, I'd I, it. Seriously, the way I was picking those plot lines... Oh, you should ...punchlines, you, you know, that bit where she, he says... She says, another one for you. Look at me. And he says... I am. <laughs> I said I am before he said that. You picked the like, lip biting like the first I time she bit her lip. Biting. I, I, there's going to be a lot of chapstick, you know, on the rider for this film, let me tell you. <laughs> chapstick should have sponsored. Well, there it should have been like, some product placement. Did. That's phallic. It's in. My favourite phallic moment definitely was the throttle on the helicopter though oh. that was they must have been high-fiving themselves in the you know special effects suite at that point as we noted as the film were going on the only missing boy toy in that film was an xbox yeah i know but how do you make that no not quite sexy enough it's like the no. i reckon the um uh you know the what are those four-wheel motorbike things oh called? quad bike yeah quad bike i reckon they would probably <laughs> mess around with that one no we'll go with the glider instead more phallic more phallic exactly but but my question is like so that's it's obviously good fantasy material. Like, I mean, all of those millions of exactly? people who have read the book or bought the book. Oh, yeah. Right. Like, there'd be absolute dilly squat blokes in that, in mm. that cohort, right? Mm. It's a lady book. Yeah. And yet it feels like a male fantasy in every respect, right? It's like mm. reading, like, a Philip Roth novel or something where, mm. you know, every chick is either a Jewish mother or a total nymphomaniac. And you yeah. think, fellas, come on. Like, <laughs> you should be going to see someone, I think. Have you ever had a little chat to, you know, like, it's just sort of, you think, well, I don't know. It's like, I've always feel terrible about really liking Martin Amos because he writes those novels where there's... Yeah. They just blow up dolls, these yeah. chicks, you know. They're it's either sort of kind like of sexy and vicious or... It's like Shakespearean. It's just a man, but strap on some boobs. Right, yeah. That, yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway, so, I don't know. The whole thing feels like a man fantasy, but it's wound up being this But, yeah, as you point out, millions, fantasy. tens of millions, hundreds of millions of women have bought it. Yeah. So, we're missing something here. I don't know. Is it kind of a surrender of control? Maybe it's just like a whole bunch of women read it who are just really sick of having to make decisions about you know everything about it right okay so maybe the idea of some insane hunk who just you know um keeps you in your own little freak room in his palatial apartment and buys clothes for you annoyingly (laughs) annoyingly plays the piano oh my god the piano you like the piano and i could tell your panic word was not far away (laughs) when he just kept going off playing the piano but you know i mean maybe that's the Maybe that's the fantasy, not having to, you know, remember to get milk or something like that. I mean, and having, obviously, this hunky boyfriend who periodically materialises in your flat when you don't want him to Yeah, there was a lot of stalker overtones Mm. with him just showing up places. She goes to visit her mother in Georgia and he just shows up there. The piano stuff, um, so just for for the listeners who maybe haven't seen the film, um, he frequently, you know, in the middle of the night after they've had sex, just goes downstairs and plays some classics on the piano. Um, And there was actually one scene where she came out of the room draped in a um, sheet, and I'm sure this was an unintentional effect, but she sort of walked across in front of the grand piano, and I just, she looked so much like Liberace. (laughs) Wow, your mum was really wandering over the course of that film. I was so in the moment. I was really (laughs) in the moment. (laughs) What about, sorry, you go. Just on the casting, that woman, uh, 
Dakota Johnson. Yeah. She's Tippi Hedren's grandmother, granddaughter, uh, right? So, yeah, and Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith's yeah, daughter. Yeah. I actually thought she, given what she had to work with, I thought she was pretty good. Yeah. I thought she's got definite potential. Hmm. I mean, um, if there are any further lip-chewing roles coming absolutely. up, you know, you know where you're going, right? And also, how do you go home and you go, so you come from this pretty good film dynasty, you go home and go, Mum, Dad, I've got the lead in Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, you wouldn't go home, you'd go to your... $500 million penthouse that you got with the advance. Yeah, that's true. Very good <laughs> Rather line. than hanging out with Don and Melanie anymore. <laughs> no, that's long ago. So Melanie is... is oh, that's still... right. She's with Antonio Banderas. Yeah, that's all right. Is that still a thing? I think so, yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't... She looked a lot like Don Johnson, the daughter. I must say, I kept thinking of Miami Vice as well. <laughs> different uh, different style with ties, though. Yeah, You're true. You're with me? <laughs> hey, she wears them around the wrists. Oh my I'll god. show you Vice, Dad. I did, I, oh my god, no, 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 don't even, don't even say those words lest they become a thing because that would be terrifying. I did, like, one of my other private sniggly moments was every time in the incredibly uh, well-ordered um, uh, walk-in wardrobe where he'd get dressed, he pulled out his little tie drawer. It looked like exactly like Tony Abbott's tie drawer except, you know, with a sort of colour leached out of it oh they were sort of yeah exactly that's right not quite the liberal blue just no, that sort just of, sort of yeah, gray toned down thing, the grey yeah. Yeah, yeah I know there was a lot of as well uh, which I think is often the sign of a bad movie the weather matching the plot line so you know it's raining outside and the relationship's not going well and in fact even the opening shot that you commented on which was as the uh, title of the film came up it was grey clouds yeah. fifty shades of grey it's very expensive isn't it mm. Sort of degree of special effect. Well, you know, thanks for that. Well, it's good to, I think it's good sometimes to push yourself out of your comfort zone and see something that you wouldn't normally see. You know? Absolutely. Um, and I, like over the course of my life, at the time I must say what I had that um, happened to me the most was in the mid 90s when I was the arts reporter for the ABC. Ah. Um, and I had to go to all you sorts are full of things. Surprises, <laughs> yourselves. Um, and so I ended up going to all sorts of things that I just would never normally yeah. choose to go to. But it was really good because it, I feel like it taught me a little bit more about what I like and what I don't actually like um and where your boundaries where are. my boundaries are <laughs> sorry i'm just never gonna stop talking this way the rest of my life and it's your fault now i can't say anything can without I my safe word like, i'm actually looking at that velvet rope thing that's across <laughs> the thing i'm thinking velvet rope. i'm just gonna talk like this what's my safe word gonna be i don't know <laughs> malcolm turnbull <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm just being an Sorry idiot. about this cough, everyone yeah, listening. Great. I no, really apologise. It, it, it wouldn't be so bad if she stops making me laugh. <laughs> oh, anyway, now, so tell me about, have you, you, you know, I can think of a few examples of things like Twilight, for example, yep. that I wouldn't normally read, but I thought, look, might as well jump on the bandwagon. Anything spring to your mind? Oh, yeah, I actually, um, over Christmas, I read um, <laughs> a book that I would never ordinarily read. It's... Um, it's a book by John Birmingham, which um, I, you know, I would ordinarily read John. But, you know, he's got this whole other genre um, of kind of sci-fi yeah. man thrillers, which, yeah. I mean, he, which absolutely go off like a frog in a sock. He oh. sells very well in um, the US. And um, anyway, so I read his latest one, um, which is called Ascendance. And it's about this oil rig worker called Dave Hooper who flies into the oil rig. He's kind of um, hungover. He's a terrible mess. He's got these kids that he neglects and he's sort of like this 
He's sort of like Bruce Willis in the opening scene of any Die Hard movie, only less handsome. Right. right. He's a kind of a wreck of a guy. Right. Anyway, and um, he gets to this rig, it's in complete meltdown, and one of his buddies says to him, Dave, there's monsters on the rig. And indeed, <laughs> some sort of tear in the space-time continuum has oh. opened up underneath this oil rig, and all these terrible monsters of crawled up and are just ripping people limb from limb. Oh, like, it's just somebody has an option that already. squirting everywhere. And so Dave then defends the human race against these terrible creatures because it turns out that he, only he can fight them. Anyway, look, it's a total man book, like everything about it. And I just loved it. It was so great. Um, that and, sounds and, like just multi-million dollar Hollywood blockbuster well, sure. written all over it. But I mean, it's kind of like, it's got that sci-fi thing where the monsters have their own language and their own history and they talk to each other. Now, to me, that is the total red flag for any book. But yeah, <laughs> somehow, maybe because John's so excellent and I really enjoy his writing, you know, I was just like, hey there, John, I'm on this crazy ride with you. I won't be going any further, but you know. This I'm is a huge admirer ride. of him because he's so diverse with what he I does. Know, like yeah. he's got, he can really just hustle across, probably because he's had to make his living as a freelancer, so he can write, you know, right, but serious. he used to be a spook. Like he used to be in the Defence Signals Directorate or something, or yeah. perhaps no one is supposed to know that. Sorry, John. Um, I, yeah, so he's got this sort of crazy yeah. kind of military intelligence background. Yeah. Which... But he's, like his non-fiction stuff's really awesome, and yeah. you know, he, stuff that he writes for the monthly, I really highly rate it. He great. said, um, I read an interview where he said, and I wrote this down because it made me laugh, um, he talked about this character Dave Hooper and said... <laughs> I let all my worst aspects boil up to the surface like poisoned warts. <laughs> oh, God. Or oh, speaking of stuff you write down, a slight diversion. Sorry, um, I just to, come on. Can yes. I just tell the flashback I just had? Yes. Halfway through Fifty Shades of Grey where he's got her tied up and he's sort of going off to get another implement. And I was just overtaken with giggles because I just thought, because he comes back and he's got a, you know, the, the fluffer and the, and the, and the, the flogger and, and then he comes back. I'm thinking, oh, please, please. Have a, have a packet of Nutrigrain or something. Like, have something so ridiculous. And no, 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 it was never a packet of Nutrigrain. But what was... What we were I whispered that to you. And you said a packet that? of Cruskets, actually. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. And then you said, no, I wanted to come back with two... <laughs> with two That's right, that was a scene. <laughs> oh, sorry, everyone, that we're just being hysterical. There was a scene where early on, after they first had sex, he says to her very seriously, do you trust me? Sorry, do you trust me? And uh, he says to her, do you trust me? And she says, you know, all dewy-eyed, yes. <laughs> he goes, he leaves the room, and she sort of just waits there. Up. And I said to Annabelle, I just want him to come back with two dwarves now. <laughs> so, oh, dear. Right, what Sorry, names everyone. you gave them? You gave them. <laughs> this is Fred and... Uh, Frank and Jason. <laughs> this, is, this is Frank and Jason. Oh, my God. I'm just hysterical. I'm so sorry. This was a really bad idea. Okay, so now, um, what? Before I had my... Oh, can I just tell my one little thing that I was going to tell? Yes. Sorry, which was when you said writing stuff down that you find funny. Um, I wrote down, it was on, uh, I can't remember what website it was even, but they had a collection of Liam Gallagher, uh, Noel Gallagher's best oh, insults yeah. and descriptions of his you know, career. And he's really quite the wordsmith. Anyway, the one that just... I thought it was so fantastic. He was describing his brother, Liam, and he said he's the most angry and irritable man you could ever meet. He's like a man with a fork in a world of soup. <laughs> That's I, so great. Oh, it was just, I loved it so much. Anyway, I digress. Move on. 
I don't know where we are. <laughs> I don't know where we are either. Now, you're about to say something else that you'd read. Hmm. Um, it was the Burmo book. What else? No, you read something else recently that you told me about that you wouldn't have normally read. Oh, the Blanche del Perger. Oh, yeah. Blanche yeah. del Perger's um, historical novels. Now, um, I'm a great fan of Blanche del Perger's political works. And, you know, she's always had this sort of mystical edge to her. And she, for the last few years, has been writing um, a, a kind of a fictionalised history of Henry Plantagenet. Mm. So there's a lot of Eleanor of Aquitaine, a lot of, right. there's, there's quite a lot of sort of frigging and gamma hutching in this one as well, <laughs> actually, including a very, very, very controversial part. Since this is the Fifty Shades of Grey episode, I can proceed with confidence to relate <laughs> what happens on page something like 168 of the second book in the series, which is the one I most recently read. Um, it's uh, where... <laughs> Um, she, uh, the, um, what's his name? Thomas um, uh, Beckett, who's right. the um, uh, Chancellor um, under Henry Plantagenet, <laughs> and the right um, plotting bastard in his own right, turns out in Blanche's version to have this sort of staggering homosexual crush on Henry, and there's this sort of terrifying scene where... Um, <clears throat> somebody gets fisted in a tent. Yeah. And, um, gosh, it's very confronting. I can imagine. <laughs> and um, I think it probably proved a bit rich for the blood of the publisher. She's self-published oh. the second one. But oh, I must really? say, yeah. I really enjoyed reading it, even though I thought, wow, I, this is so not a book that I would ordinarily pick up. Mm. Um, but it definitely of, held your interest. Well, I kind of, yeah, I kind of bowled along with it. See, this is my new thing. I'm, I'm now opening up myself up into historical fiction and crazy man sci-fi. And What's going on? And bondage pop culture. Yeah, I don't think I'll be back for more of those. <laughs> that, yeah, honest. we might be seeing the sequel. I don't, I don't think I'll read the book of Fifty Shades. No, I don't think you need to. I'd read, I've read about the first 30 pages of it before I came to this, and yeah, I don't need to really know anymore. It, it's not even that titillating. Like, I, I actually can't really understand the appeal. We're obviously not the right demographic. When I say I didn't read any reviews, I did read a one-line comment that was from somebody, from some review that was as, as a pull quote on a, um, on a website which said that um, as a film, it's as erotic as watching Jamie Oliver prepare a chicken. <laughs> and that's, there's an element of that, yeah. kind of lots of slapping about and you yeah, know, a oh, bit, of, bit of lovely jubbly. And yeah, clearly. but not much beyond that. Um, the review that Anthony Lane wrote in The New Yorker about it, I can't remember any of the lines out of it, but it's also quite funny, mm. so that's worth a look. Now, what we should do, we're nearly at the end of our half hour already, so I was going to say um, just perhaps we should talk about, because we ended our last podcast with our Christmas presents to each other yes. so we should say what we thought of those so if you haven't listened to that one or you don't remember I gave Annabelle A Fraction of the Whole by Steve Toltz and she gave me The Mitford Girls by I can't remember who it's by now no I can't remember the name oh, either um, sorry I'll, um, she's a quite well known author who's yeah, written a lot of biographies we've um, just been we've anyway been flogged out of Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, we'll we'll put it up on the website, you know, chat10looks3.com. And also that reminds me, if you like our podcast, go to iTunes and give us a review and say that you like us because that helps a lot. And you can follow us at Twitter at chat10looks3 and at Annabelle Crab and at Lee Sales. So um, I think Annabelle's just going to look up. Yeah, you're just padding while I Google so, this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she'll look up the name. Um, so I'll talk about it. It was a really... Uh, Really? What a family, my God. Yeah. I had no idea. And you did say to me that it was going to lead me down a million rabbit holes of additional reading. Um, the stuff that mostly stuck with me was that 
Well, Unity Mitford, who was one of the sisters who had this crush on Hitler and became heavily involved with the Nazis and ended up having this tragic sort of, you know, back to the wrong horse there and had this oh, tragic... Oh, wow. Oh, awful. And then tries to shoot herself and it doesn't work out and then she has all these dreadful, you know, brain damage and continence issues and whatnot. And then the other sister... Oh, they're going to start some music I love music how the up. continence issues are the worst <laughs> aspect of this woman who dated Hitler and then shot herself in the head, but more tragically, she ended up having to wear Depends. <laughs> Sales. You are hilarious. Um, and then the other sister that really just... Um, I mean, they all rocked me in their own little ways, but Diana Mitford, the great beauty of the family, who was married to Oswald Mosley, the leader of the British fascists, and who was actually imprisoned for the course of the war in Britain. With her baby son, Max, who then went on to get a bit of vlogging himself uh, many, many years later. Wouldn't you stay away from all the Nazi paraphernalia, if that were your family background? Um, Anyway, it was a really riveting read that makes me want to go now away and read Love in a Cold Climate by Nancy Mitford and you know all of that stuff so so thank you very much. A lot of her writing I mean I love Nancy Mitford novels so much and a lot of her depiction of this sort of I mean posh romps uh, among um, rich children in the British countryside I mean they just it's less the subject matter than the incredibly funny writing Mm. and you sort of work out that her childhood is depicted in an, um, in a bunch of those novels, which is really interesting once you know the family history. Yeah, right. It's Jessica Mitford. I mean, anyway, I mean, we could go on forever. Yeah, she was um, quite extraordinary, different politically. Um, you've got the... Time. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's Mary S. Lovell. Who Mary wrote, S. Lovell, who wrote, that's right. Um, the Mitford, the Mitford Girls. Girls. Yeah. But see, once you've read this biography of the family, and, like, it's a total... It's an absolute ball tearing read isn't it mm. it's full of action and sort of things you didn't know you can't know actually and, believe that it is one I family know, yeah. and that some of it's not made up but then and this is what I'll lend you next is the correspondence between the sisters there's a great edited collection of the correspondence between them which is mm. really very cool now what did you make of A Fraction of the Whole by Steve Thomas well you know it's very difficult when um, somebody gives you a book that they really really love right because particularly if it's someone you really like and someone whom you really respect there's always a really there's an anxious moment where you think what if I really think it's for the giver not too, that great I might add yeah, yeah. but um, happily I can report that is just such a great novel I really I laughed a lot it's full I mean to the rate of once or twice a page of lines that you just that hurt because you so badly wish you'd written them yourself and I mean mm. Sometimes that is half of reading a great book is just this terrible sense of jealousy that you should write like that. And I got that on every page. It's really inventive. It's um, the thing, the book that it reminded me of most in in the sense of how it made me feel reading it. I mean, it's this story of a um, kind of a father and son, um, very strange Australian rollicking. Um, dark, weird, very funny tale about a dysfunctional family, although that doesn't really do it justice. It reminded me a little bit of when I first read Illiwaka, the Peter Carey novel, because it had that sort of scope and span and kind of strange humour. I mean, the Tolts book is definitely funnier, um, but... Yeah, I just I, at no point did I ever get bored. It's a great book. Yeah, I I thought that it was a book that reminded me why I loved I love reading because it was so enjoyable, but also that um, it reminded me how much fiction I read, which is basically just 
thinly veiled autobiography. Right. You know, someone's marriage busting up or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, someone's mum's sick and they're caring for her on her deathbed. Um, this was so rollicking and, in, and inventive that there's no way that it can be loosely based on Steve Toltz's own life. Unless he's had unless a he's really unusual <laughs> Unless he's Mitford-esque yeah. in his um, life stories. the story, other thing so. that it, I really, like, it made me feel was... I, I love that it was Australian and I'm so used to reading... Um, novels that are just really sophisticated works of artistry that are European or American or or English. It's so great to read one mm. that was um, yeah, that's Australian. I completely yeah. agree. Um, now we've we're out of time for our podcast for this week. So um, thanks for coming back, and we're going to try and do it when we can this year. When we're feeling a little less spent, right? <laughs> exactly. God. That's right. Cigarette crab. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I really have to go home and cook kids dinner. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. See you soon.